I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. Just a quick thank you to our sponsors at the moment. As you know, we are being kindly sponsored by Waterfall Plastic Free Wipes. They are 99% purified water and are both fragrance and alcohol free. The wipes are made from natural cellulose plant fibres, making them so much softer and kinder to delicate skin. Waterfall baby wipes are hyperallergenic, having been extensively tested by dermatologists and are approved by the Skin Health Alliance and Allergy UK. They've also been accepted by the International Eczema Association and are also certified by Cruelty Free International and the Vegan Society. Waterfall baby wipes are 100% plastic free, 100% biodegradable and also 100% compostable. Breaking down in a matter of weeks, they are the best choice for our planet and your baby's future. So from using the wipes myself, I've also discovered that they're much larger than other wipes and also so robust, which is what we need on those messy jobs. Available for purchase in Tesco, select super values and can be bought in bulk on Amazon too. Kindful, mindful and waterful. Just a quick thank you to those who support me on Patreon. I really appreciate it. And I know it's four euro a month that comes out of your pocket um, for those who want to show the support. And then six euro a month for those who want to get early access to the episodes on a Friday evening. So thank you so much for those who are supporting. And also buy me a coffee. Thank you to those who have bought me a coffee. Trust me, it gives me such a boost when I'm up late editing and I see you guys showing support there as well. So thank you once again. In this week's episode, I share my chat with Neve. Neve talks me through her one pregnancy and the birth of her little boy, Jack. So Neve and her husband, Barry, thought they might need things investigated when they didn't conceive as quickly as they thought they would. They did wait some time and then when they did receive the results that they had unexplained infertility, they went to a clinic who suggested IUI. Unfortunately, that was unsuccessful, so they went straight to IVF. They then received the news that they were pregnant with their little boy, Jack. So fast forward, um, Neve 
prepares. I don't think I've ever interviewed someone who prepared to the level that Neve did. It's incredible. They She read books. She went to hypnobirthing really early on. She watched videos. She looked at real images. And I just thought it was amazing. Neve was induced at 40 plus 11. And she shares all the details surrounding why that decision was made. She... Thankfully, she didn't have to labour too long without her husband Barry there because he was very much involved in the preparation. He obviously attended the classes. He read the books. Um, so it was great that he was there as soon as, yeah, as he was. So I'll, I'll let you hear all the details of Neve's positive induction, induction story. Uh, a really nice story and a pleasure to chat to Neve. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. And I will also have a reference list um, in the show notes as well, which I think will be handy. Enjoy and I will chat to you soon. Neve, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Oh, thanks so much. A little bit nervous, but I mean, hopefully I'll get into it now and I'll just forget that, you know, this is going to be listened to by thousands, hopefully thousands of people, you know. So no, thanks so much for having me. Delighted to be here. Do you want to just give us a little introduction to you and your lovely family? Okay, well, um, my family um, at the moment is myself, my husband, Barry and our little 14-week-old baby Jack. Um, So we are living in, so from Nace originally, um, Baz is from Galway, and we met over in Australia, God, I'd say, maybe 13, no, no, we've only been together 10 years, so almost been, what, 10 years ago, my math is so poor. So yeah, and then we moved home about um, three years ago, and yeah, have just been, um, I guess, settling in really, you know, and just a loving life. And I guess, you know, it's obviously been um, a bit hectic, obviously, with a with a newborn. But I mean, you know, the year and a half or two years prior to that, it was fairly relaxed because, you know, obviously with COVID, life just slowed down. So we've kind of just really enjoyed that time knowing that. And I say that respectfully, obviously, I know COVID was an extremely difficult time for us also and for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, we tried to obviously make the the best of a, a bad situation and really kind of enjoy our time together, knowing that we were expecting uh, a baby in yeah, July just gone. So that's us in a nutshell. So let's dive straight into your pregnancy. Oh, God. So, well, I mean, where do we start? Do we start at the very... Right, right at the beginning. Yeah. So... We conceived Jack um, by IVF and we actually haven't told a lot of people that, Um, you know, it's not kind of one of these things that comes up in conversation, you know, or it's not really like a a casual kind of talking point. So, um, you know, if my friends, some of my friends that listen to this may have, may be hearing this for the very first time, you know, we um, had great support when we were going through it you know like I confided in some very close friends and some family members um, as did Barry but yeah I mean so the the process itself and I'm sure that you've had lots of people on the podcast who have gone through the process and I feel like it's you know um, you hear of people more and more conceiving babies that way and for us we had um, unexplained infertility so there wasn't necessarily anything wrong and I hate kind of using that word because you know like there's nothing wrong it's nobody's fault you know like it just didn't work for us and I think like we were very shocked I think had we have um known that it was going to take as long as it did I think that we would have probably started trying to conceive 
earlier you know like or maybe when I was a little bit younger like we've been married now five years and uh, we came home from Australia to get married and then we went back and you know we always wanted you know we talked about it we'd always wanted uh, a family but we thought that it was just something that we would have in the future you know we wanted to enjoy our time together and then be ready to settle down and and um, grow a little football team, you know, or a little rugby team. Um, so we were very, I guess, shocked over the fact that it didn't happen. And and I don't know if this is sharing too much, but like my cycle would have always been, you know, predictable, extremely predictable. Um, and I never had any issues, um, you know. And so again, it just kind of really, it hit hard. Um, so when we came home, from us that was early 2018 now my dates would always be very um like it's the dates are a little bit hazy but we arrived home in 2018 and quite quickly after we lived with my dad um and his wife for god the guts of a year and like thankfully nobody killed each other you know so um we uh came home uh bought a house started new jobs and then we thought you know what like we want to have a family. Let's just see how this goes. Um, but after I would say approximately say 12 months of, you know, trying, we just decided that maybe we should get some tests. Now it might've been a little bit before that, but we thought we'd go to a clinic and we went to a clinic in Clane and we just said, I'd get my bloods done and they would check Barry's, um, uh, semen so they did a, an analysis on him also um because I think a lot of the time or you know from what I've hear, heard and from what I've gone through you know like a lot of women kind of take it upon themselves you know to to get themselves checked never thinking that you know the issue might be with you know their partner so I mean we just decided that we would both you know go together and get this done so anyway we went and you know it was uh, pretty painless very straightforward and the results were back you know relatively quickly so we had basically been told that we had unexplained infertility uh, which meant that they couldn't really pinpoint why we weren't conceiving so we decided with that information that we would keep trying ourselves like part of me wanted to conceive my baby myself you know like uh, I don't know why that is like, I don't know why, you know, we didn't just go, you know what, let's just do it because, you know, obviously inevitably that's what we had to do. So we probably gave it another six or seven months. And And due to those results, did you, do you feel you make any, you made any conscious changes in your lifestyle? Yes. Um, Great question, actually. So with regards to let's say health and fitness, like we had always been and living in Oz, you know, we adopted a really, kind of like um healthy and and fit kind of lifestyle like we loved being outdoors we loved going to the gym we loved eating well and again you know like having been through say like you know the the wedding like five years previous like it kind of kind of kick-started uh, a definite kind of fitness uh, buzz in me so we'd always tried to be relatively healthy now with regards to uh support so like so I referred to Instagram a lot and I don't know if any of your um like uh previous podcasters have come across um the uh Laura Hackett the fertility hack and um the fertility detective I think it's Jessica Burke is her name so I followed um them on Instagram and it was actually really like very reassuring 
I guess, to know that other people were going through exactly what I was going through. Because like before I had to turn to IVF, you know, like I thought it was if you had, you know, if there was a reason, you know, like if there was an issue, I didn't know anything about unexplained infertility. So um, very reassuring to be able to, you know, uh, turn to these, to these women, you know, they obviously have no idea who I am, but they provide so much comfort and so much support and so much reassurance. Um, with regards to anything else, I'm I'm not really sure that we would have, um, you know, like kind of changed anything else or or looked into anything else. But of course, there was lots of googling. Oh, you know, and obviously with regards to, um, you know, trying to conceive and even prior to the IVF, you know, like we bought the what are those tests the ovulation kits you know like we've and like a lot of people and you find like on those specific pages they you know kind of encourage you not to you know because obviously um I I don't think anyone's cycle is maybe that predictable or those particular tests aren't that predictable but I you know towards the end lived my life by them you know like I would be checking them morning and evening and like waiting for that you know smiley face and unfortunately you know um you know, then trying for a baby, you know, kind of becomes quite just more like a chore than, you know, than anything else. So with regards to the, say the process itself. So like we started, let's say it was 18 or 19 months after we were home. Um, we started the IVF process. That process was a lot more like positive that I had ever like could have anticipated or predicted. Like I felt very emotionally and like hormonally like balanced throughout that and I don't know if you have felt the same as in just you know from again speaking to people but I had expected to have days where I felt really you know just highs and lows and that wasn't the case at all whatsoever like so our IVF process or experience was very straightforward we um went to a clinic in Dublin And they had basically presented two options to us, an IUI and um, IVF. And and I don't know if you want me to go into that, but just very briefly, like the IUI is basically where they insert the semen into your uterus. They just give you basically a, it just gives you more of a fighting chance. And then obviously um, the IVF is where they take, you know, obviously a lot, everyone would know this, but the, um, uh, my eggs the semen, they put it together and then they implant it. So we tried the IUI initially. Now, I think the percentage of success was actually fairly low. Barry and I couldn't remember last night what it was. I thought it was 20% and he thought it was much lower. Now, that obviously is extremely low given IVF, I think was like a 50 or 55% chance of success. Are those statistics specific to you and Barry or are they general? No, that's in general. Yeah, in general. So at the same time, I was still, I think, in denial because I was like, you know what? My body is not going to fail me for want of a better word. I was like, well, do the IUI. It's going to work. I was like, we won't need to go through the IVF process. I think it was just, I was just, I felt a bit overwhelmed at the thought of, you know, all of the injections and just the process itself. So we did that in the first instance. And unfortunately, it didn't work. And I think we were both you know, extremely, you know, upset over the fact, even though we knew the statistic and, you know, I thought we had kind of had realistic expectations, but there's always hope, 
you know, and a hope can be a blessing and a curse, you know. Um, so we unfortunately that wasn't um successful. So they had suggested that we do two more rounds of IUI, and we were just like, do you know what? Because apparently, actually, the more that you do, the higher the um success rate. But we had just said, do you know what? We just want to go straight to IVF. We don't want to waste another couple of months. So say after the IUI, I had to give my body a rest for a month. And then the following month, we started the process. Now, that's only what going back, you know, a year and a half ago, but um, give or take. But I forget the number of injections that I had. There were a lot of appointments a lot of scans and multiple injections, morning and evening. The, yeah, please. No, work didn't know the situation. And you know what? That's something that I really kind of um, struggled with. You know, like I, you know, they knew that I'd come home from Australia. They knew that we were buying a house and we were recently married. And of course, babies was probably like the, you know, the next step, but there was still a, a fear. And even though I have so much respect for my boss and I would have had probably, you know, no issues having that conversation with her and she probably would have been supportive. But I think there's, I don't know, do, does everyone feel it? Just that fear, the what if, you know? What, what if you shared this information and then what if your job was in jeopardy? Like I, and, I, and that's probably silly. No, I don't think you're alone in feeling that way. A lot of people uh, right. do keep it to themselves especially away from their employers or colleagues, just because you mentioned there the, the volume of appointments that you had. So it must have been hard to make sure it didn't interfere with work that much. You had to manoeuvre a lot in your life, I would say. Do you know what? I had basically said to my boss that I needed to have, and this was, I think, around the time of the egg collection. So that's when I really needed time off. Other than that, I tried to get appointments um, before work or after work or in and around lunchtime. So then I had to take less time off. But I had just said to her that I needed to have a medical procedure and that there would be follow-ups. So she was very accommodating and told me just to take whatever time I needed. I didn't have to take it out of, you know, any of my leave. She was just very, she was extremely supportive, you know, which was harder, you know, for me because I hadn't had the courage to be extremely open with her but you know what that's a conversation that I could have at a later stage because you think of you know subsequent pregnancies and and what we we may have to do so I definitely think that I would be I would handle that differently going forward but um with regards to um uh, the appointments themselves like I mean they were you know short and you know fairly straightforward um we were given a um the initial consultations were actually because of COVID times, they were done via very similar to this via Zoom. So um we felt um um you know like we had a great kind of consultation, you know, we felt like the they did a presentation and it was very thorough and you know, we kind of felt like they'd covered everything. So we were just very clear about, you know, our plan of action. I think even before we started the IUI and the, and the IVF, we had agreed one IUI and then straight to IVF if that doesn't work. So there was never any sort of like um, hesitation, you know, from our side. So sorry, getting back to uh, the appointments themselves and the injections, um, you know, people think that, you know, that injecting yourself is, uh, you know, that it's going to be quite painful or, you know, the injections are going to cause you to be extremely hormonal. And I imagine for a, a lot of people, you know, that might be the case, but I didn't 
find that at all. You know, the first time you ever inject yourself is actually, it's the craziest thing in the world. So you're like, I actually have to pierce my skin, you know, with this. But I think once you kind of, you know, get that first injection over and done with, you know, a few days later, you've had multiple and it's just, you know, like second nature, you know, like it, it just becomes a lot easier. So we had um, multiple injections, appointments. Um, the one thing that did take me by surprise, I think, was the egg collection. Um, you know, like I was sedated for that, but the recovery afterwards probably took me about five days. Like I was extremely bloated and very uncomfortable. Now I took a day off work for that and I was straight back into it um, uh, the day after. But luckily, uh, I've been working from home since um, March of that year. So it was, I guess the recovery was um, a lot easier to bear, you know, and you didn't have to put on a brave face in front of your colleagues, you know. So again, in, in that respect, it was definitely um, um, a, a much easier process. But yeah, so um, on the same day that I had my egg collection, Barry would have had to have provided a, um, a semen sample. And then, yeah, they would have, you know, um, put the two in basically a little dish. And I think we found out the day after, um, you know, uh, how many embryos there were. And I think uh, we had 16. And then by day five, there were only five embryos. So we had one implanted and that's now our little Jack. And then we have four basically on ice. So I always, you know, think about my four little babies, you know, <laughs> that are there frozen somewhere. But, um, but the, you know, the, uh, when they implanted the embryo, again, that was a very um, simple, very pain-free, very quick process. And then, you know, you have your, basically your two-week wait. So two weeks later, and I'm sorry now if I'm kind of flying through that, you know, but basically, um, just long story short, so the two-week wait um, is nerve-wracking. And I was not buying another pregnancy test. So I was waiting until I had to go up that morning to give my blood test, and I was not buying a test for love nor money so they didn't call us until it was a Friday evening that they were going to call us I think it was like late October and it was quarter past four when that phone rang and we thought surely like surely they wouldn't leave bad news until this hour of the day you know we tried to stay optimistic you know like you try and be in those two weeks and you know and I'm sure a lot of your listeners um, have gone through it, but, you know, you try and busy yourself, you try and distract yourself, but there's nothing else that you can kind of think about or, you know, talk about. And then we got that call and the nurse was very somber, like, you know, and we thought, oh God, like it's bad news. And then she told us that it was, that we were, you know, that I was expecting and that I was pregnant and, um, and then we just started bawling and she was like, you know, we started crying and she was like, oh God, like, are you okay? like of course we're okay like you've just told us you know that we're having a baby like we're over the moon and you know but it was as if she was shocked by our reaction like we weren't you know overly it was just a very joyous moment and like one that we've been waiting for for an extremely long time you know so I mean I guess then the fear kicked in didn't it (laughs) knowing that we were going to be responsible for a little human in nine months but um so the, the people that we'd shared the news with, we felt that, you know, we wanted to kind of share it with them there and then like that evening. 
So we called them and it was just wonderful. And, you know, part of you thinks, oh God, you know, like, are we jumping the gun? Should we wait, you know, until our, at least our early scan, which we'd planned to get around six or seven weeks. Um, but we just said, you know what, that could, they've been on this journey with us and we just wanted to share that news. So, you know, I mean, again, tears all evening. <laughs> But I mean, it was wonderful. And, you know, we just tried to stay as positive as we um, possibly could. And I just think I am a huge advocate now of like of the, the IVF process. Like if anyone were having difficulties conceiving and they had waited, you know, or had tried for, you know, as long as we had. Now, that would have been 18 plus months of of really trying. And then before that, it was just a little bit probably more relaxed and a little bit more casual, you know, so. Um, you know, there was no like apps or or date tracking or anything like that. And um, but I would encourage anyone and everyone to at least speak to a specialist, you know, and the likes of Laura Hackett's page, like if you follow her, you know, she's just a wealth of of knowledge. And I think that, you know, even looking at her page will give someone um you know, I guess, uh, just more knowledge and, you know, obviously the courage then maybe to kind of reach out or just the comfort knowing that, you know, they're not alone. Like, I mean, she has this basically, um, uh, God, couple number 90, but basically at the end of the day, it takes a lot of people, you know, well over 12 months to conceive and it's just to have the patience and I guess just to uh, enjoy the process as much as you can, you know, without making it uh, a chore. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely that's something that needs to be spoken about. We spend our 20, 20s trying not to get pregnant and we were never told, we're not told that often that it can be very hard to conceive a baby and take a long time. Isn't it the most... It's a long, but it is almost, and it is clearly a very, you know, uh, easy process for a lot of people. You know, it happens, but that is such, there's such a small window. And, and I think I was, you know, very aware of that from the time that I, that we had started even thinking about having a, um, a child. But when you're younger, you know, you think that it's, a, and of course it is, you know, like with, you know, the, the sperm staying in your body for, you know, a number of days. Like, again, of course, there, it's, it's, a, it's a longer window, but the actual chance of that happening is, it's, it's slim. And I think, you know, people, you know, it's just, it's a tough time, you know, when you're trying to conceive and you're having issues. You know, the amount of people in my own family, you know, would have said, when, you know, are you going to give us a grandchild, you know, or when are my girls going to have cousins, you know, and you kind of think, if I could have a child, I would have a child, you know, like if, if it were that easy, like I, you know, your children would have cousins and you would have grandchildren. But unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, it's, it's just talked about too flippantly you know like people ask those questions too easily and I think you know having gone through you know this time myself like I'm a bit more careful you know like it's it's just a bit more of a sensitive um issue but it's like you know with regards to you know your employers like you know I guess, you know people paving the way for women to be able to be honest and be open you know you hope that you know, people will learn, you know, that it's not as easy for some as it is for others. And and again, it, it you know, people won't be questioned or cornered or, you know, um, you know, I guess just people won't have to kind of face those difficult, you know, 
questions or difficult kind of like situations. And that's what it was for us at some, you know, at certain times. But, but overall, you know, like we would be, I don't know, like I would say we're extremely private people, but I'm an open book, you know, to, to the people that I love and the people that I trust, you know, like I would share everything and anything. So this is probably one of the first things in, you know, my life that I just held back a bit, you know, like I think you get to a certain age and, you know, there are just certain situations where you just want to keep things just a little bit closer to your chest, you know, and, and it's definitely what we did. And I'm kind of, you know, you know, it, it was just what we needed to do in that moment in order to kind of get through it. But, you know, like I said, we had great support. And I think you really need that, you know, during those times, because had we not have gotten our positive result, you know, as much of a positive experience as I had, if I had to go through that back to back, I'm not sure how like emotionally or mentally strong I would have been second time round or third time round. And like, I've had family members who've gone through it as a, as Barry, you know, like numerous times and not gotten their positive news, you know, not gotten that kind of happy, you know, ever after gotten what they wanted. And like, that's extremely tough. So like having only gone through it once, I can only imagine like, you know, how they're feeling six or seven times down the line and still not getting, you know, what it is that they so desperately want. So like, we're so grateful. Like we were, we're so blessed. And I always say that. So as much as I can talk to you now and say, yes, do it. We were very blessed to only have to go through one cycle, but all you can do is just stay positive, you know, and hope for the best in kind of every situation, which is what we did for that, but also then through the pregnancy and, you know, through the birth itself. So when we found out, I, again, and we'd spoken about it earlier, I had had a conversation with a friend in Australia. She had had two children and she had had drug-free births. And she had said to me, Neve, you can do it. Just put your mind to it. She was like, it's, not that it's easy but she was like it's not as awful or as painful as you know people make it out to to seem or you know it's you know when you see it on tv or in the movies like it's so sensationalized like it it's and any time now that I come to a scene I'm actually watching a, a show called Sh- Chicago Med I'm absolutely addicted maternity leave has just ruined me on <laughs> Netflix I'm addicted and like anytime a woman is giving birth, I just turn it down. I mute it. So I'm like, I don't, and I don't even look at the screen because I cannot look at that anymore because I had a very different experience. So again, my friend, um, Michelle, she really kind of opened up my eyes to it. So when I got married, I started YouTubing like natural um, births on YouTube. I didn't really know where else to kind of look. So I figured, you know, I'll just have a YouTube, look at a few videos and kind of see, you know, what it's all about. Then I turned to Instagram and I found um, Eva Rose uh, photography, like her page. And I think it's Eva Rose birth. Isn't that it? And I was obsessed. Like I thought every photo was beautiful. Every woman was phenomenal. You know, these you know empowering like you know um videos and photos and I thought do you know what like this is what I want like I want this sort of experience 
And I want to believe that, you know, my body can do this. And another, you know, like when, again, you think about having a child, like I always thought I'd give birth on my back. I would have an epidural and I'll probably end up with an episiotomy. And when I started looking into um, birthing on your back, like uh, the physiology of birth, it just didn't make sense. Like that baby's head trying to, to, you know, curve up around the coccyx and then, you know, through the birth canal, it just didn't make sense to me. So I just thought to myself, I do not want that experience. I don't want to give birth on my back. And I thought, right, how am I going to do that? And I started, I don't know specifically how I came about or like how hypnobirthing came about. I assume it was through Eva's page. Someone had mentioned it or, you know, something like that. I just can't really pinpoint it. But I found out about hypnobirthing and I just thought, right, that is what I'm going to, you know, um, like investigate and see if that's, you know, something that would work for me. So when I got pregnant, I downloaded some audiobooks. Um, Holly DeCruz, I think it was your, is it your baby, your birth was her book. And then I think there was the calm birth method by um, Susie Ashworth, but it was Holly DeCruz's book that really stuck with me. And also, oh, Siobhan Miller's, um, uh, hypnobirthing book she's runs the positive birth company she was actually that was fantastic as well a great resource so I had started listening to those immediately like almost from day one you know so like four weeks in I downloaded them and I used to listen to them on my walks and like it just really it just made sense you know it just broke down that your uterus is a muscle and it needs oxygen and if you allow it to work like efficiently you'll feel they never really reference, you know, like referred to it as pain, but you know, like your body will just do what it's supposed to do. And like, it just really resonated with me. And, you know, like people wanted to be as mobile as they, you know, or like the stories, like they share a lot of stories on these um, audiobooks. And a lot of women wanted to be mobile and not give birth on their backs. And it just, it, it sounded like the exact birth that I wanted to have. So I really kind of focused on hypnobirthing and really kind of dedicated a lot of time. You know, like this wasn't, um, this was a nine month process and I don't know, you know, how much time, you know, how little time or how much time you could possibly put into, to hypnobirthing or, you know, to how much time you should need to put into something in order to get the result that you wanted. But I started at the start and I said, I have to give it my all because I don't want to come out the other end of it and not have tried, you know, basically. So, I mean, the hypnobirthing process, people kind of think, you know, that it's a bit, I mean, it sounds airy fairy, doesn't it? Like when you think about it, like my husband, I think thought it was some like hypnosis and it was, you know, nothing at all. So I had my audiobooks. He bought the Siobhan Miller book and he read that. And, you know, I read it after him and then, you know, he was sold. So we thought, okay, we're definitely going to um, stick with this and do a little bit more research and see how we go. So we did what they suggested. We focused our time on breathing techniques, 
I, you know, and initially at the start, you know, like I wanted Barry to kind of do everything with me, you know, like to, to really kind of buy into it. I felt like we needed to kind of practice things together. So we did a lot of relaxation scripts. He would read to me because they basically tell you that, you know, he was going to be able to, I guess, ground me through that experience. And if we had read these relaxation scripts, you know, throughout my pregnancy that in labor, if he were to read them to me, it would be able to calm me and center me and, and help me focus. And, and it very much did that, but we practiced. So the breathing, the breathing on a daily basis, the positive affirmations I would listen to multiple times a day. So if I'm, if I was out in a long walk, it was like a 16 minute um, MP3, I would listen to it, you know, multiple times. And what else did we do? I wrote loads of um, positive affirmations out on cards and stuck them up all over the house, like in the bathroom and sitting room and kitchen. I'd say people came in and thought, what the hell, you know, is going on. But, um, but I, I just felt like it's what we needed to do in order to, you know, um, to get the result that we needed. So we did a course with Ani Hennessy. She's, um, a nice woman isn't she born and bred yeah only down the road and um lovely like she's just lovely so we did a hypnobirthing course with her that was a a full weekend we did the antenatal course you know doing an antenatal course with the hospital I thought it was going to be a bit clinical and that wasn't the case at all whatsoever um you know so we were actually very pleasantly um surprised by that and we with Anya we did her course very early days like I would have said maybe we were 21 22 weeks and the antenatal course with the hospital we did that was much later now I'd say that was 30 maybe god mid 30 so we would have been 34 35 weeks and everything that we had learned in the antenatal course like we were aware there were no surprises so we felt actually very reassured then going into I guess the the labor itself you know um so considering the level of preparation that you did I love by the way had did you start thinking about your birth preferences list and had you started creating it yes so we created our I guess our birth preferences um and preferences being you know like we couldn't have planned it you know we could obviously put in um you know all of the hours of hypnobirthing and you know maybe not have ended up with the result or the experience that we wanted so we had planned basically I wanted the labor you know I dreamed of you know that it would start at home and you know with COVID I dreamt that you know we would arrive to the hospital together you know that's definitely something that we wanted and I planned on you know creating this lovely atmosphere at home having you know dim lighting music playing I'd be bouncing on my birthing ball you know having um uh, a bath and just laboring at home for as long as I possibly could but unfortunately you know that wasn't the case and, and we can obviously um touch on that but with regard to the the birth preferences I wanted like minimal to no vaginal exams and hypnobirthing basically um tells you or you know gives you the confidence like to make decisions for yourself to advocate for yourself I thought the only decision before I ever looked into it the only decision that I would have ever had to make was the hospital was choosing the hospital and what hypnobirthing does is open your mind every decision like everything that happens to you over the course of your 
pregnancy and birth is your choice. So like I very much didn't want any vaginal exams. And because of COVID, you know, people were um, basically told that if they couldn't assess whether or not you were going straight to the delivery suite, you know, and you wanted your partner with you, then they would have to examine you. And, you know, like, so that was definitely something that I kind of um, was extremely just nervous about, you know, and, you know, I guess a little emotional at times. And that's when you had to kind of use your breathing techniques and really kind of, um, you know, like things like meditation, just to kind of calm yourself down. And, you know, there was no point thinking worst case scenario in this situation. We just had to plan for everything. So uh, that's what I wanted. And I made it very, very clear. We wanted the likes of like delayed cord clamping. Now, I think that that's standard practice. They um, delayed for like three minutes or so, but I think we were a lot longer in the end. We wanted skin to skin. We wanted no coaching at all whatsoever. So no, you know, it's time for you to push, like bear down and push. I didn't want any of that. Like I wanted to listen to my body and that's something else that you learn to do. You learn to, to trust your body, you know, as, and I don't know, does that, it doesn't sound silly to me. No, no. I very much, you know, like I very much believed, you know, I very much believed that my body was going to do what it was supposed to do. We wanted no negative language. So, you know, we didn't want them to ask if I felt any pain. I didn't want any, I didn't want them to reference contractions. Like everything was surges and pressure, you know? Um, So that was definitely really important. I didn't want them to suggest an epidural at all whatsoever throughout the course. So I basically had said on your birth preference, you can't say, I do not want an epidural because if the time, you know, came where there was a suggestion of it, you know, like they've read in my preferences that I didn't want it. So I think it was just a bit of a gray area. So I had to write in my preferences. I do not want you to ask me if I want an epidural. I want to be the one to suggest it. So I had to make that obviously very clear. I wanted mobile um, monitoring. I wanted to be able to get up and be mobile. I didn't want to have to lie in a bed and have them assess me for, you know, whatever reason. So I made that very, very clear. Now I knew that there were two. Um, so, you know, the minute I was on the ward, I was requesting that. And, and thankfully I had that in the end. Um, and what else? Like, I'm sure there were more things, but that was basically like the gist of what I wanted on my preferences. Now, nowhere on those pages did I mention induction. Because in my head and one of my affirmations, my baby knows how and when to be born. Like, you know, like I trusted that my body would do what I needed to do. And I honestly believe that it would have done so. But unfortunately, not. It didn't, you know, I guess, um, uh, react to the hospital's timeline. and you know, there was just no movement, you know, like the, my cervix was not favorable, um, you know, when the, the time came and because of my, did I mention this already? Because of my IVF, they mentioned very early days that I would, they would suggest induction because they wanted me to have, you know, uh, a beautiful, healthy baby, you know, like they didn't want to risk that because I had had to put in more effort I guess you know conceiving him now now we didn't know that it was a boy at the time but you know like they basically said look you know we just want to get your baby here safely and we are going to suggest an induction now I 
very specifically told them that I didn't want. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Thus that there was no medical reason for it, that my pregnancy was the exact same as any other woman, you know, who, you know, walked through these doors, you know, regardless of how this baby was conceived. I, you know, I was housing my baby in my womb. There was a placenta. That baby was growing. You know, every week he was, you know, um, you know, measuring his weeks, you know, my bloods were good, urine was good, like there was never any complications. I was able to stay fit and healthy throughout my entire pregnancy. I was exercising right up until I'd say the day before he was born. And there were, you know, there were very few concerns aside from the IVF. And so I think that was and again, very early days, you know, like it was very difficult to kind of get my head around. I remember the first time they ever mentioned it to me, I was just really taken aback. Now I had obviously been doing the hypnobirthing for weeks and I didn't think of using the brain acronym, which is basically, you have to ask them, what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What's my instinct telling me? And what happens if I just do nothing? You know, fast forward, you know, there was um, a bit of concern 
uh, towards the end of the pregnancy about his size. Um, but I knew that the, even the scans and the book will, you know, share this information with you. The scans that they give you in the hospital, you know, like on your biweekly checks, they're not accurate, you know, because, um, you know, the baby's so big that they can get an accurate size. So one of the doctors was concerned that he hadn't grown. And I was like, I was like, I was here, let's say a week ago. I was like, he was measuring perfectly. I was like, I can see. And I just said like that black bit over there, like, are you just guesstimating? And they were like, well, yes, they are. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, I'm not concerned. And she said, well, we're going to send you for a more thorough scan. And I was like, great. I was like, I'm really happy with that. Let's do that. And sure, he was perfect on the trajectory that he had been since he was conceived. You know, when they are looking, I think, at the certain percentiles. So, you know, that was a a very... um, you know, short, I guess, not even a battle, you know, but I was very much not concerned. And I questioned her immediately. And the book doesn't teach you, you know, these classes and courses, they don't teach you to be confrontational, but they absolutely teach you that, you know, what they say is not gospel. And they teach you to question, you know, anything that you're not necessarily happy, like comfortable with, you know, or what some or things that just don't make sense to you. So long story, I guess, short, it came to, you know, full term. So 40 weeks and the dreaded I word came up again and they were like, you know, we think that we should um, schedule you for an induction. And I was like, what's the medical reason? And there were like, there was none. They, there was a bit of scaremongering. And they talked about the placenta failing and they talked about uh, just the chance of a stillbirth. And I said, but what are the statistics? And they were like, well, you don't want to be the statistic is what was said to me. And like, no one ever wants to be that statistic. But at the same time, like, you know, like, again, I trusted that, you know, I was going to go into labor, you know, naturally and and you know things were going to just work out you know and and again but unfortunately like that fear kind of creeps in that doubt creeps in you know because like I'm not a medical professional you know like I don't you know know I guess the ins and outs and you know I can read all the books on hypnobirthing but that doesn't give me any sort of you know and knowledge or you know or foresight or anything like that so I think like when Tom had a conversation with Barry and you know we had basically said that um they had recommended 40 plus 10 but I think that they were booked out on the 10th day so I had left that hospital and they booked me in for 40 plus 11 and like I did not want that but but again I was encouraged and I and I felt like I have a lot of positive things to say about hospital really and truly but like I was you know forced like for want of a better word to to book that date so I went home and up until 40 plus 10 I still wasn't sure that I was going to arrive at the hospital because I've um I'm sure it was your podcast I'm pretty sure your podcast is the only podcast that I listened to about births but there were women who didn't show up to their induction dates you know who um you know I guess um had been working with doulas on the side of 
the hospitals and you know they'd obviously had you know their plan and I thought to Barry and I'd said to Barry you know like I'm not sure that I'm comfortable you know like maybe we should just wait and but unfortunately like he was you know scared you know like we wanted our baby like you know we'd waited years so we talked about it and we just agreed we're like you know what okay like we're just we're just gonna go for it like if he doesn't arrive before that date we're you know gonna go in so obviously like this is COVID time so my plan of laboring at home and having Barry with me for the entire journey you know those you know dreams were you know I guess squashed you know the morning of and and he still hadn't arrived so I remember we had to be in the hospital for 6 a.m and that morning getting ready you know like I was my bags packed for you know just a couple of weeks I was actually very late packing doing the hospital like it's a lot more like more difficult than people would think and I don't know why that is I just could not get my act together so we finally had the hospital bag packed I brought loads of my own food um you know comfortable shoes because I thought I'm going to be up you know for the next god knows how many hours you know because I wanted to be mobile and like no part of me was going to lie down and rest (laughs) how wrong I was but um uh, you know, like, so we packed all our bags, but I was very emotional that morning, you know, like, oh, like there were tears. And, you know, like in all of my preparation, I never prepared for an induction. And even those 10 days after full term, like I was like, my baby's going to come. Like, I mean, I, I didn't even entertain induction. I think I might've read a leaflet. So I had a, a, a rough idea as to what you know, I was going to endure, you know, from a um, medical, from like a, a I guess a, a drug perspective, you know, but um, emotionally, like I was a bit of a wreck. Like I would just look at Barry and the tears would just roll down my face. Like there was no sound. They would just like, they were just kind of pouring. The night before we went out for a beautiful dinner, actually in um, Nace, you know, and I had a lovely non-alcoholic beer, <laughs> you know, um, they're surprisingly tasty and, uh, you know, and we just had, so a few drinks and a lovely dinner and got home that night. So we didn't really think about it that night. Cause I thought maybe he'll come, you know? And so I was obviously in denial. So the morning of anyway, yes, there were a lot of tears and, you know, the drive up was, you know, I was just extremely quiet. And I remember Barry was holding my hand and, and it's tough for him too. Cause I think like, he doesn't like to see me and I get emotional thinking about it now you know, like he doesn't, he didn't want to see me upset. Like he didn't want to not be with me. Because again, it was his plan too. So, so, so much effort, so much time. And again, you know, other things. And and again, like the, you know, there's lots of things that I want to talk about that I haven't, you know, but Barry was an amazing support throughout the entire pregnancy. And um, yeah, so we anyway, we arrived up at the, the hospital that morning and he had to leave me at the door. He couldn't come in with me. Now, they told me to leave my bags at the porter, but you know what I was just, I said, like, I want to get my bags into the room and I just want to have my things, you know, like I felt uncomfortable enough you know, emotionally, I just thought I just want to have my thing. So I dropped everything off myself, came back down and I said goodbye to him. And again, the tears were just streaming down my face. So he left anyway. And I went back up to the room 
And yeah, I guess I really didn't know what to do with myself. The the midwives um, came around and I had stopped crying. Whenever I left Barry, I'd be okay. You know, like I think it was just when I saw him, I would just get extremely emotional because like this was our journey, you know, and and it's just a very it's a very hard time to be on your own. You know, like I didn't know what way my body was going to react to, you know, the, do I, do you call it the medication? You know, like I, you know, didn't know how strong I was, you know, as an individual, you know, like, you know, like Barry and I've been together for, yeah, like 10 years. And again, like we've, we're very much, you know, like a together couple, you know, we, have a lot of similar interests and we really enjoy each other's company. And, and again, even through this whole process that just, you know, like we just did it all together. And I think like it was just, a, I don't know, just a shock, you know, the, to think that I was going to possibly have to endure part of it alone. And I was just, I think as much preparation as we put into it, I was still, fearful because I'd never anticipated an induction so I was afraid that I might possibly you know be in pain you know and that I didn't know how I was going to cope and as much as I didn't want to have any sort of pain medication I didn't know you know what sort of experience I was going to have because I hadn't prepared for this particular thing does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely you know and and you know in hindsight, I should have, but I was just so ignorant. Like I was like, you know what? I believe, but I believe that if the hospital had trusted that my body knew what to do, like my baby would have come, he was not going to stay in there. So they basically check you every four hours uh, when you go into the, uh, you wouldn't call it a labor ward, would you? Because it's normally like a uh is it the labor ward before the delivery suite anyway the so I got in 6 a.m that morning and the doctors came around nine now they inserted the pessary people always say it's like a tampon it's nothing like a tampon it's like a flat piece of um what would you say like a like cotton wool basically Uh, so and it's basically like flat and they put it up behind your cervix. Now there's a long string. So maybe that's what they like into a tampon. I was just very confused. So when I saw it, you know, like people, if there's so much misinformation out there and I just like, you know, I guess things to be very quite literal, you know, so it's basically like this teeny tiny flat piece of like stiff, you know, cotton wool or, you know, that that's how I would describe it anyway. And they had to insert that. So obviously that was my first vaginal exam which I was extremely uneasy about but I thought you know obviously I'd agreed that this was going to happen and I just had to accept it so obviously I practiced my breathing techniques while this was happening and that obviously kept me calm now luckily the gentleman who like the doctor who put it in he was it was he was just very efficient you know and and I felt very little discomfort so I was excuse me actually very surprised by that and they had basically said to me that they'll assess me in 24 hours now, I had felt no aches or pains. And somewhere in that 24 hours, there was another doctor who suggested repositioning the pessary. Um, so that was another internal exam or another internal, you know, 
check. Again, definitely slightly. And I don't want to turn, you know, people off the mind. You know, like obviously in this situation, it had to happen. So they repositioned it. Anyway, the 24 hours passed and nothing had happened. Now, actually, in between that, Barry was allowed to visit me from, I think it was uh, 2 to 4 and 6.30 to 8. But I wasn't having any sort of like, you know, aches or, you know, I'm going to refer to them as pains and contractions just because I think, you know, the majority of people and it's so natural, you know, but um, there was uh, no pains, no contractions, nothing was happening. So Barry went home that night anyway and I went back and luckily it was um, during Love Island. So that was a lovely distraction that evening. You know, we were able to watch it in the hospital. Now, at the time that I'd arrived, there was no other women in my room and there were two other beds. But by the time I came back from dinner, a woman who had come in after me that morning, who was also being induced, had been brought to the delivery suite while I was out. Now, obviously, much to my disappointment, because I thought, hang on a second, she's going to the delivery suite and I haven't even felt a twinge, like nothing. Another woman came in and she replaced the woman who'd left. So she took over her um, bed. Same thing during the night. She was brought down to the delivery suite. So I woke up the next morning and I was just, I was a little like heartbroken, you know, like I just thought like nothing's happening, you know, like, and I knew that the next stage was the prostaglandin. So it was the gel. So the doctors came around. Normally it's 24 hours that they would check you, but it was actually probably about the 26 hours. They came around that morning. They were like, there's very little um, changes. We're going to suggest giving you the prostaglandin. So that was fine. So they did that. And they said, I think that they check you every six hours then after that or they check you six hours later. Now it actually ended up being eight hours. I think that they checked me. There was a bit of a delay and Barry was actually in with me visiting. So a doctor came around and she had checked me and she had basically said, now again, another internal exam. And I, when she went to check me, I lifted myself up off the bed. It was extremely uncomfortable. And again, the tears just started like, pouring and like I wasn't crying but again I could not stop the tears and Barry was with me and you know I was trying to breathe through it and she had basically said to me that she could feel my waters like on the baby's head she's like I could break your waters is what she said to me and I was like okay well what does that mean and she's like well we can get you down to the delivery suite now and she's like but that could be ours And I was like, okay, right. And they said to Barry, look, you should go home, get some rest and we'll call you when things start to happen. And now at this point, I had felt nothing, no aches, no pains, nothing. So I was just a bit, I don't know, like just caught off guard, you know, like I expected more, you know, like I expected to be feeling something. Anyway, so Barry was like, right, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and then I'm going to go home. I was like, great. He came back 10 minutes later and they were like the midwife came back and she was like actually we have a delivery suite available now she's like we're ready to bring you down so luckily Barry hadn't left the hospital and it was like literally within seconds they were packing up all my things and you know moving us off to the delivery suite and yeah so look we I had obviously 
composed myself you know like I stopped crying I was kind of like okay right this is the next phase this is exactly what we've been working towards you know like I'm now going to have my baby like my baby could be born you know in the next five hours 10 hours 24 hours like this is it so anyway I was a little bit I guess um more excited you know like I was less emotional less upset so we walked into the room anyway and like Barry claps his hands and he's like yes he was like now it's my time to shine and I just kind of looked at him and I went this is your time to shine and he was like he was so busy he got that room ready like it was unbelievable he had the tea lights he he dimmed all of the lights you know repositioned the salt lamp we had like hypnobirthing you know like I'm hypnobirthing mom in you know progress or whatever like that just so the midwives would be you know very aware he was you know dishing out my birth preferences um he you know was putting on the music and made sure that he had the hypnobirthing tracks and getting the drinks ready and he was just brilliant you know and while all of this was going on they had the midwives are reading through my birth preferences and they were just doing I think a few checks before uh, the doctor came in to uh what I guess release my waters that's what we that's how we refer to it in in you know hypnobirthing so anyway the same doctor walked in and like my heart I just hadn't put two and two together like she said I'm going to be able to break your waters And like, I didn't think that I'd see the same woman. So I thought, hang on a second. I've just lifted myself up off the bed in pain with this woman. And here she is now about to do the same thing to me, except worse. Now I had had friends who have had the same, been in the same situation. And they had just said the most uncomfortable thing about labor and birth is having your waters broken. So I had anticipated that now all throughout my preparation. I had planned on having gas and air always. That was never a doubt. I thought, you know, that's definitely something that um, appeals to me. And I had written that in actually in my preferences. So knowing what I was possibly going to endure, having just had her examine me or um, um, examine me, I thought I'm absolutely having the gas and air. So they had given that to me. And I said to myself, I was like, right, Neve. I was like, you know, this is your moment. I was like, you need to like, I wanted to be a boss, you know, like I just wanted to own my birth, you know, like own the labor, own the birth. And I thought like, this is the start of it now. Just forget anything that's, you know, just happened. So I took a few, I guess, puffs for want of a better word of the gas and air. And she was like, am I, you know, okay to go ahead? And I was like, yeah. And I just was breathing in for four, out for eight. That's the technique. So that's the, what we call the up breathing. In for four, out for eight. And once soon as I was just allowing your body to get enough oxygen. And, and that's what I did. I didn't even flinch. I, and basically I communicated via hand signals. So she had broken my and I kind of, I felt the, you know, the gush. And then she gave me a sweep. Now we never agreed to a sweep. At, it was never mentioned. And like during the sweep, I was like, um, so once she let my waters go, I flicked my hands like this. Like I was like, like holding the gas and air, flicking my hands into get away, like get out, get out, get out. And she didn't. And, and so she did it anyway, that was done. Now it's only afterwards that I kind of thought to myself, um, 
I'm like, that wasn't right. You know, like she should have communicated. I should have given consent. So getting past it, I guess, like she gave me a sweep and I hadn't agreed to it. But you know what? It was done and there was nothing that I could do to change it. But I didn't even think about it in that moment. So once that was done anyway, they hooked me up to the um, synthetic oxytocin. And that was fine. So I had every intention of watching Love Island. So it must have been in and around the nine o'clock. And I remember Barry getting the laptop and putting it on. And then things kicked off. (laughs) So they... I think they started off at 30 mils per hour and it increases every 15 minutes after that. So I had the gas in there. I wasn't really using it. And then just, I started to feel pressure and I was able to take, you know, a breath of the gas in there and then talk in between. So I was having conversations with the midwife and with Barry. And then it got to a stage where the gas in there happened to come out of my mouth for a few minutes and I was just looking at the midwife and she had said to me she's like oh she's like that's a very long contraction she actually said contraction and I just looked at her and I with my eyes and I said yeah because again I had noticed like the gas had come out of my mouth I hadn't no one was talking And all I could feel was really intense pressure. So I was feeling pressure in my upper and lower abdomen. And basically, you know, in hypnobirthing, it basically tells you that you're, um, you know, in labor, you know, your up breathing helps your uterus pull up the muscles and open your cervix. And then the later stages, your muscles are pushing down and helping expel, you know, your baby. And basically, it felt like both muscles were working at the same time against each other. And I was just feeling incredible pressure. Now, I would say throughout my entire labor, I felt no pain at all whatsoever. And I and I stand by that. Like really and truly, it was an incredible experience. But at that moment, I thought, oh my God, like this is really intense. Anyway, so she, at that stage, I think the, the drip was at 90 miles an hour. And she's like, I'm just going to reduce it. So I think she reduced it back down to 60 and then to 30. And I think I stayed on the 30 mils per hour dose for my labor. But that was all, I think I'd talk about it, say an hour, but it got, the pressure got so intense that I, my breathing technique went out the window. So I was doing the in for four, out for eight up until this point. And then the pressure was so intense that I was just breathing really quickly in and out, in and out, just trying to catch my breath, trying to find some sort of relief. And unfortunately, it made me ill. So I'd actually ended up projectile vomiting, you know, I guess two or three times within the space of like a couple of minutes. Like I felt ill at that point. So she had ended up reducing the, um, uh, I guess, the amount. And then I started to feel much better. Now, they'd asked me at this point as well, I hadn't gotten up off the bed and I'd fully intended to be mobile. And I had my wireless monitoring on. So again, I I had that option. But up to that point, it just didn't enter my head because of what I was, I guess, trying to process. I guess what I was trying to kind of what my body was trying to deal with and to cope with. So they got up anyway because I had to change and they had to change the bed. And I remember standing up and my body, like I just started swaying with, you know, the pressure. I thought like... I just listened to my body and it just started to move. It was actually kind of crazy. 
Now the gas and air, I don't know, did you have it with your pregnancies? No. It it kind of makes you like a little high if you don't control your breathing enough. So at one point it was kind of crazy. It was kind of like this outer, out of body, out of mind experience. Like I thought I was anywhere else but in a delivery suite about to give birth to a baby. And Barry had the um, positive affirmations on in the background. Now, these are what I'd listened to throughout my entire pregnancy, multiple times a day. And I would hear Holly DeCruz's voice and it would just bring me back into the room, into that moment. Now, the pressure was still quite intense at that time. And in my head, I was like, should I just ask Barry for the epidural? Like, should I just mention the epidural? Am I going to be able to withstand God knows how many hours of this? And in my head, I was like, if I say it out loud, I was like, it's going to be, it's going to be out there. Like, I can't put that chili back. I was like, that is it. And I was like, let me just get through this next surge. And then the next one would happen. And it felt maybe a little bit better. And I would still think about the epidural. And I thought, I just need to get through this next surge. And then it got to a stage where I didn't think about the epidural anymore. I was just focusing on my breathing techniques, you know? And, you know, just allowing my body to move. And they brought in this floor mat. So I was kind of like, I was down on all fours. I was, you know, up on the bed on all fours. I was, you know, swaying and moving around, just kind of doing whatever felt comfortable, whatever felt natural. Um, And all throughout, you know, like Barry kind of kept checking in with me. Needless to say, we did not watch Love Island. I could not focus on anything else but what I was going through. Now, I had also fully intended on eating during the labor. Food did not enter my mind. And I mean, that's probably the first time in my life that I did not think about food for a number of hours. It was crazy. And basically, like a long story, very short, every surge was just that little bit easier. Now, it got to a point where I was not taking that gas and air out of my mouth, but my breathing was extremely controlled. I knew exactly where I was. I knew exactly what I was doing. And say the midwives would talk to me. I may not have, I wasn't responding to them, you know, like immediately. I was getting through my surges and then I was responding to them. And whether, you know, I needed time, I would count down with my fingers, five, four, three, two, one, letting them know that I could hear them, that I was listening to them and that I fully intended to respond. It was just going to be in my own time. So like, that's how I kind of ended up, you know, communicating with them because I really just wanted to focus. And like Barry kept giving me like, you know, um, I needed water and we brought in like Luke's Aid Orange Sport. And like, I would kind of alternate those drinks because I wanted to try and keep hydrated. Um, The pressure got really intense at one point. And I think they needed to check the baby. They basically said that, I assume baby's like heart wasn't, reacting or he wasn't moving or you know so they need to stimulate him so they need to do you know I guess a, an internal at that point and I think they checked me and I was maybe one centimeter like that was within the first couple of hours so there had been very few changes but I was feeling a lot of pressure and like you know they'd ask me like do you feel like you need to go to the toilet and you know like I it was definitely intense but not to that degree and then a while later, it was the same thing. Like at one point I was like, this baby is coming. And I got up on the bed and I was leaning over the back of it. And they were like, me, we're just a bit concerned about baby. They're like, can we check you? And I was like, 
they didn't even say that. You know what they did, Corey? They said, Neve, can we check you? And I went straight away. I was like, no. And they were like, we're concerned about the baby. We just need to stimulate him. And I was like, okay, just give me a minute. But that was, and then 10 minutes later, they were asking the same thing. I was obviously working my way through the surges and they were obviously extremely intense. Um, so again, I wasn't, I guess, reacting as quickly as what they had hoped in that moment. But I got to a point where I let them and then they checked me and I was seven centimeters. Now my labor from the minute they put in, I think the drip was five, four hours and 55 minutes long, right? He came four hours and 55 minutes later. So those five hours to me, it seemed like an hour, you know, like that time. And I don't know, did you feel the same? It just flew. And I don't know if that was the experience or, you know, if that's what using the gas and air, you know, does to you also. But it was just to me, it was an extremely quick. So we went from zero to 90 in like no time at all. And then it got to a stage where you know, I'd started to push and I think that process took maybe about 30 minutes. Now, Barry told me afterwards that a midwife came in and she had basically said that I wasn't pushing correctly. Now, I don't know what that means because, you know, everyone does this for the first time. I still don't know second time around what I know how to push. Like I had practiced my down breathing And, you know, that's helping you to breathe your baby out as opposed to having to forcefully push. But I felt in that moment, like my body was telling me to push. Like I wasn't breathing that baby. I was pushing that baby and he just was not coming. And, you know, like I could feel like a, you know, that they talk about that burning that when your baby's crowning, like a, like a stinging sensation. But I mean, it was, everything was like, it was bearable. And actually I didn't mention, but we'd actually been doing, you know, I wanted to avoid an episiotomy. So we had um, doing like the perineal massages from, I'd say in and around the 30 weeks. Now, I'm sure a lot of women do that by themselves and more power to them. I don't know how you could navigate that with a bump. But I'd asked Barry very early days, I said, would you help me? Like, will you do that with me? Now, say like 30 weeks, from 30 to 33, we probably did it maybe once or twice a week. And then from 33, 34 weeks, we were doing about five or six days, five or six times a week. And like, we dreaded it, Cora. Like, I mean, it was something that we just had to do, something that we knew would benefit me in the long run. And like, it was actually fine when you were just doing it, but it was just the thought of it, you know? And like every day it got that little bit easier. You know, the the sensation was uncomfortable. And I thought, you know, if I experience anything like this, like I can manage it. And you know what I could like when that baby was crowning and I would encourage any woman to, to do the perineal massaging, but to really do it because I did like, I had a slight graze, but I did like, I, I didn't tear. I would say I had, you know, no tear, like that baby, you know, came out and it was uncomfortable, but nothing like what I had experienced because I feel like, you know, my body was used to the, sensation like used to um you know the the stretch so I would really truly yeah the stretching so I got to a stage where they were like you know you're going to feel some burning and I thought great okay his head's going to be out in a few minutes and then I heard them talking amongst them and they'd mentioned episiotomy and in my head I was like hang on a second I'm feeling you know the stinging surely his head is crowning like why are they talking about this and I was like in my head I was like it is not happening I didn't vocalize it 
but I was very much like, it is not happening. And they had suggested, so there was no real coaching at this stage, but they had suggested uh, a change in position. So what we did then, like I very much thought that that was how I was going to give birth. And it's how I had envisioned it and everything. And then I ended up going on to my, so I was very much um, uh, still very upright, but on my side. And I remember like Barry was holding my leg up and basically he was born, you know, quite quickly after that. And like, I'd never anticipated giving birth like that. Like I thought, you know, I'll be epidural free, you know, I'll be fully mobile. That's just not how it's going to happen. And it was, you know, like, but again, he came out and that was obviously the best position for me to be in, in order to get him out. So anyway, he came out and they told me it was a boy. Now we'd, you know, throughout the pregnancy, there was this um, old wives tale that basically says that if your baby's heartbeat is 140 beats and under, it's a boy and anything over, it's a girl. And like ours was always in and around the 140, 130 kind of six. So we were convinced it was a boy. And so he came out and Barry was like, it's a boy. And in my head, I was like, of course, it's a boy. Just put him on my chest, you know, like, duh, you know. So that wasn't a, you know, a surprise in that moment. So we wanted to do then the delayed. I was obsessed with seeing the placenta. So he was on my chest anyway, and we were having skin to skin. And it was just amazing. Like, we thought we'd both be in tears and floods of tears. And we weren't. I think we were just so overwhelmed that, you know, like, this, he's finally here you know, like this is just, like it was so surreal. And um, then uh, they had said that they were going to obviously delay the court camping. So, or delay the court, um, yeah, camping. So basically I think they left it for in and around the seven minutes. Now actually also on my birth preferences, we talked about a natural, like a, a physiological third stage. So I wanted the placenta to come um, on its own, but they had, spoken to me about it just before they put in the synthetic oxytocin and they had just said look Neve, you know we want to avoid a hemorrhage you know we encourage you to have you know um what's the basically the injection in order to get it out swiftly and you know what I think at that stage I thought you know what I'm being induced I'd be open to it I really just I wanted my baby and I just cared less about the, the third stage in that moment in time. So I said, grand. Anyway, you know, the placenta was out minutes later. You know, we got to see it. And I got to see the cord go, you know, almost white before they cut it. And Barry did that. And yeah, it was just amazing. Like they obviously took, um, oh, obviously before they put them on my chest, they took them off to do all those little tests. And that was great. And yeah, it, it, I guess it, just afterwards, it's, you know, you're kind of just in that moment, in that room. And it's just the three, they're midwives and they were like, you know, doing what they needed to do, you know, to me. And I think that I had um, some, a couple of other, say, grazes and that they just needed to attend to. But it was literally just myself and Barry and, and Jack in that moment, you know, and it was just wonderful to have like that skin on skin. Now, I had always said, and I don't know why, I wanted a shower after the labor, you know, like after the birth. And I don't know what it was. I think it was just a, you know what, I'm not going to have an epidural. I'm going to be able to have a shower. Like I'm able to go to bed that night and feel clean. And, you know, Barry wasn't going to be with me. So I just wanted to get into comfy pajamas and, you know, be in bed with, you know, my baby. And never had I anticipated 
how weak I would feel. And like the midwife said to me, she's like, Neve, if you don't feel well enough, she was like, you don't need to have a shower. And I was like, I wanted, like I was having it come hell or high water. Like I was having that shower regardless. And I did, but I felt extremely weak. Like I didn't really think about, you know, the blood loss. Like I think I was still just like, overwhelmed like I probably wasn't thinking straight in that moment but Barry had his skin to skin I had a shower and then you know we were reunited but shortly after that they were bringing me down to the um ward and Barry had to leave us you know like so it was all just I guess after that moment that was you know quite a shock upsetting for Barry but you know like I got to spend the night with my baby so I I guess I was just kind of focused on him as opposed to you know wondering how Barry was feeling the fact that he had to leave us but um but like you know daunting then being left with a newborn and you know like I wanted to breastfeed him so trying to get support with that you know during the night was a little bit tough and you know he obviously slept a lot and I barely you know I barely wanted to touch him I was so afraid you know he he didn't at all look fragile but I mean at the same time I was just so afraid you know that I would heard him and I you know I'd obviously never picked up a new newborn so it was just all a bit you know daunting and and overwhelming but I mean we survived and then obviously Barry came in the following day and he still only had those four and a half hours with us you know that next day which is so upsetting for fathers you know when you think about like these times like it's absolutely horrendous like what you know people have had to endure and 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 what the partners have had to to miss out on but I guess you know we were very lucky that we were discharged then he was born the Tuesday morning we were discharged on the Wednesday afternoon you know but we got great support in um, the hospital you know um during the day like all of the midwives they were very supportive about the feeding um and you know answered any sort of like queries or questions that I had and it was just like honestly I would do it again tomorrow like I just think and as emotional as I was about the induction it wasn't you know it wasn't the worst thing that you know that I made it out to seem or that I had anticipated everything worked out you know like I would say that I had you know the birth that Barry and I wanted and I think I was so emotional about it because I didn't want to let him down I didn't want to let myself down you know I barely mentioned to my friends you know I guess my birth preferences you know like I very much wanted to have a drug-free birth but I didn't really say those words out loud because you know I don't know did I you know I just didn't trust myself enough that I was going to be able to cope but I honestly believe that the amount of hours that we spent, you know, doing the relaxations, listening to the positive affirmations, like that sank in, like that stayed with me and it really helped me. And I honestly don't think that I would have been able to have the birth that, you know, I had and the birth that we hadn't, you know, hoped for if I hadn't have done that. Neve. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the detail that you did. It will be so beneficial to my listeners who are preparing for birth, going through their own fertility struggles. And uh, yeah, it's you're a great example of how powerful hypnobirthing can be and how beneficial it is to prepare before baby arrives. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing.
if you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can get in touch over at the website, irelandsbirthstores.ie, and that's where you can offer to share your story, or you can get in touch via Instagram, Ireland's Birth Stories. I'm not as quick off the mark on Instagram. It's all over the place. My DMs are, are crazy at the moment, so you're better off getting in touch over um, at the website. Also, I am preparing and scheduling dates to record interviews um, for our 40 day series, which will launch next year in addition to the birth stories. So if you would like to share your postpartum story specifically, then you can get in touch and just make sure to title it um, that you do want. It's your postpartum story that you want to share rather than your birth story. I hope you have a good week and I will chat to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.